At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being involved with startups and having done similar things for a while, I have realized more so in the last three or four years that in the age of internet, you can still get user acquisition. There is one thing that is even harder than user acquisition, and that is user engagement. You cannot fake user engagement. You know, you can hire influencers, you can build, portray it as a brand, you can spend some money, throw some money at it, and and you can get people to come and log in once. You can give prices, you can bribe user acquisition, but user engagement, you cannot. The reason people keep opening social media is because that is real engagement. No one is paying them to do that, but it's just that it has it has transcended to their psyche in, in some way or another that they do that. It's just that I, I've seen that with so many startups. They buy user acquisition initially. They do marketing, they do ads, they do Facebook ads, but they don't have engagement. People don't stick around and then they leave. And that's what real product market fit is about, is engagement. Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. This show is all about insights and explores how transformational moments of awakening have helped propel the lives and careers of remarkably successful people. These major breakthroughs teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. On this episode, I interview Sam Kamani, author of The 30-Day Startup and co-founder and CEO of Product Done. If you're in any way involved in a startup, then this one is a must-listen. Sam breaks down the components of building a successful startup, as well as many of the common mistakes he sees new founders make. With two successful startups under his belt, Sam made the decision to give back to other founders by forming his company that specializes in helping develop a minimally viable product, commonly known as an MVP, and they do it in lightning fast speed. With the belief that every unicorn starts with an MVP, Sam shares some of the ways he's able to rapidly deploy a go-to-market product. He talks about the value of testing, gathering feedback, and iterating to make improvements early in a company's life cycle. He also shares why user engagement, not acquisition, is the result needed in today's world. He explains why solving a problem may not be the only factor to consider when designing a product. And we learn how rigidness in product concept often leads to failure. Sam is an expert in understanding why some companies make it while many others fail. And he shares his inside knowledge that will give anyone starting a business an advantage. If you're looking for insights to help you in your own entrepreneurial journey, then sit back and listen to this episode of Inside Out.
Sam Kamani, welcome to Inside Out. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Oh, I am thrilled to have you. And I want to jump right in because you have an amazing story. And I want to get to your story quickly because I also want to get to all the amazing things that you're working on, your book that you released recently, and also the book that you have coming up, multiple projects you're working on, and just there's so much to cover. So let's start with your story. would love to learn more about your background and go back as far as you think would be valuable for the audience to learn about you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I'll actually start from right down from like where I studied, what education I got. So I studied computer science and then I was quite curious to learn about marketing and acquiring customers. It's like my parents, they are artists. And I mean, they're really good artists and, and hence you see a lot of art here because I, I took it from them, but are not salespeople. Artists are not marketers and advertisers. So they were the kind of artists who never managed to sell any of their art. So the house was full of art. And that <laughs> kind of inspired me not so much to do art, but to learn the art of selling because that itself is an uh, art in itself. So then I came to New Zealand as an international student. First thing I did was I went and enrolled myself into marketing and I wanted to learn everything to do with marketing. After studying marketing, being an immigrant or an international student, it was very, very challenging finding my first job. I mean, I would have applied for hundreds of jobs wow. and hundreds of places. And I did all sorts of things, you know, odd jobs to survive as, as any person new in their career has to, just that it took years and years. So for like two years, I was at a ferry ship terminal and I was clipping tickets for two years. However, while I was doing that, I could see that having computer science, technology background and marketing background, that this is early 2000s, that e-commerce is coming. Back then, e-commerce made 1% of the total sort of sales online all around the world or even in US and, and most places. So most of the retailers weren't worried about it but what I used to do back then there were bookshops like Borders and, mm -hmm. and we have libraries in New Zealand lots of public libraries just like US and Australia and everywhere and I would go there and I would use their internet and I would read and I would learn about everything to do with digital marketing and, and just think about you know how is this going to disrupt and I started helping businesses in the part time so in the evenings, in the weekends, I would spend my time in the library in Borders. Borders was great. You buy a coffee from a cafe in, inside Borders and then just see and read books. And <laughs> so, I mean, that, that was amazing. And that led to opportunities. So I connected with other people. Of course, since you, are, you don't have ex relevant experience, no corporate is going to give you. So I was always applying for jobs, which I never even heard back. But I started connecting with people and, and there is a theme in my sort of life story and that is people. And I said, look, I mean, I would go to business people and say, give me a chance. If it works out, it's great. If it doesn't, that's fine. We go our ways. And then I delivered really good result to some businesses, two or three local sort of businesses here because I was doing AdWords in 2004 when mm. no one even understood what AdWords is in this part of the world. And I was buying things for like 10 cents. So not, the same things are available, like the same AdWords cost $10 a click now. That's right, that's um, right. So I was like an early adopter and there were lots of businesses who could kind of start seeing that, okay, 
they have to move they have to move onto the online space or or they will be lost so one such business sort of approached me because someone referred me to them and then i joined that i delivered exponential growth so they were in the nutraceutical space so made herbal supplements or herbal supplements and and nutritional products and all those sort of things was that a translation for the american audience i like that that yes that <laughs> <laughs> that was indeed <laughs> i've been to lots of conferences on on those sort of products in us yeah. one is the natural products expo in anaheim i've been there a couple of times it's massive you know like 50,000 stalls or something it takes 3 days to walk around and it's spread around different parts of <laughs> so yeah i mean yeah good good times and i, I grew that company quite a bit and i got a chance to own a stake and i ended up becoming managing director of it and took the products to australia us some asian countries however when you deal with physical products or if they are something to do with pharmaceutical space um the regulation and the bureaucracy in in those sort of industries are insane you know it would take 2 years for us like for new zealand the, the largest trade partner for new zealand and australia is china so we just can't get our products there i mean not not easily there there would be also there's language barrier to start start off with and and cultural sort of we don't understand the culture so um and it would take like 3 years to get your product approved and by that time rules might have changed and then we'll have to start the whole regulatory cycle all over again <laughs> and all i was getting fed up with, with all those sort of things and i just wanted to build and grow and scale so i decided with my the other co-founder of that company or or the founder of that company to 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 exit and and sell that company so that was a that was a profitable exit or a financial exit and we sold that in end of 2015 um so i ran it for about 7 8 years after that i started looking for my next thing i took a bit of sabbatical took some time off that's when a second my second son was born and so took some time off did some traveling all that stuff what you do after you exit <laughs> after you yeah. have an exit and then that okay now time to get back and then i started applying again for jobs once again not a single response and and those who did respond like larger banks and aws and all those they all had the same thing that you've been a business owner you've been an entrepreneur for so many years now for nearly 10 years or more how are you going to work for someone <laughs> and so maybe maybe they were right you know maybe they um and maybe that's why i didn't get but regardless so i found a the niche i wanted to go in i wanted to go back into tech because it's so much easier to scale whether five people download or 50 people download you don't have to right it, it's not nothing physical much product, changes yeah. it's not physical you don't have to worry about expiry dates you don't have to worry about like distribution storage and so many things go with it that that are really challenging to scale so it's a lot easier to get started but very challenging to scale globally and i wanted to be have a global company from day one i looked at and the next up and coming industries and i found this i always been a gamer like a i game on xbox with my friends i've been doing it for last since since xbox existed pretty much Wait, what's, your, what's, your favorite, was, what's your favorite game 
I mean, I've still been playing a lot of Destiny for the last six, seven years, <laughs> but I've played、um, a lot of Halo and Gears of War, and and I've played lots and lots of different games, and I I try different ones. I've played a PUBG and Fortnite and and all all sorts of things, Call of Duty, and I try any game for at least a little while. <laughs> so I found a esports gaming startup, and then I contacted the. The CEO of that company, so I contacted him via email. I did that via Facebook, and I did that via LinkedIn. Everything I did not hear back from him because he's busy. Everyone is busy, you know. So then I pretty much found out where he's speaking next at an event. Then I went to that event, and then I at the like. When you have break after speakers, after he spoke and everything, and then I went to him and said that, "Hey, look, I'm the guy who's been pestering you,、um, <laughs> and I told him about that my skills lie in customer acquisition, user acquisition. Let's work for two weeks, and you can see what I can. I've got all these ideas that I can do for you guys,、um, and if it works out." Um, it's great. If it doesn't, we go our own ways. So in two weeks, it worked out really, really well. I took that esports startup sort of.、Um, so we made software for esports tournaments, and people would come in and they would collect points, like bit like air miles. The more sort of tournaments they play on the platform, they collect points, and then and then they can exchange those points for gaming. Stuff and all that digital and physical products like keyboards and mouse and all that. Right.、Um, that was the model of that of that startup. So I grew that from sixty thousand monthly active users to three hundred thousand monthly active users in eight months. Wow. And I started playing bigger and bigger role in that company to a point where I ended up becoming COO and. Um, yeah, so and that was in 2018. I was actually again in US at the GDC. This year GDC didn't happen. That was very strange. But yeah, so went to GDC and all that, and and made some more connections. And then that company got acquired in late sort of 2018. That's when I left that startup. So Australian sort of. Agency which dealt in similar sort of products, they acquired five or six companies, so they acquired that startup. It was called Upro.gg. After that, I thought, okay, I've done that twice. I've had two exits.、Um, let's help other entrepreneurs develop MVPs, develop software, develop it really fast. And that's when I started Product Done with a friend of mine who already owned an agency for corporates and stuff. So we thought, okay,、um, there is this niche that not many people are looking at. Um, once again, my skills lie in marketing, user acquisition, sales, all those sort of things. And he already had a team of like eight, nine people that could develop things. They are all coders and designers. So we just hired people from. So initially, we started subcontracting to that company, and then we eventually hired full time from his company. So it was very seamless, and we built a whole business out of nothing, like targeting a. An untapped niche, sort of a thing. So that's the start of product done towards end of 2018, and that's what we've been doing. So we we develop pretty much MVPs or first versions of different products. So yeah, people come to us with ideas, and we bring them to life. So that's what we do. I love that. What a story. I mean, first of all, congrats. Obviously, it takes a certain type of person to not have one but two successful exits, and to do it all while remembering that you made some 
early decisions to focus on the marketing side of, of what you wanted to do with your career. And you looked ahead. What I love about your story, and I want to talk about product done. I also want to talk about your book, The 30-Day Startup, which is fantastic, yep. by the way. But before we do, I mean, this show is all about insights. It's all about moments of clarity or of awakening. And you talked about your childhood growing up. You talked about seeing your parents with this collection of art all over the house. And yes. they just weren't good at selling it. They were great at making the art, but they weren't great at selling it. When did that light bulb go off for you? When did that insight happen where you realized, you know, I like the marketing side of business. I like the creation side too, but it's the marketing side that you were most attracted to. It was the user acquisition, the sales acquisition. Yes. When did that light bulb go off for you? When you see um, there, you know, art is very, very subjective. It all comes down to a bit like, a bit like branding. Some brands... Um, can charge a premium price and other brands who are made in the same factory by the same owner cannot charge the same price. And and just seeing that um, while growing and reading about artists and reading about their stories because the house was full of books on art and, and different artists and also seeing what's happening in the market and also parents not having that much money, realizing that, okay, so it's not the ability to create that's the be all and end all. It's like lots of startups have do manage to build a successful product, but then a lot of them do fail in user acquisition. However, being involved with startups and having done similar things for a while, I have realized more so in the last three or four years that in the age of internet, you can still get user acquisition. There is one thing that is even harder than user acquisition, and that is user engagement. You cannot fake user engagement. You know, you can hire influencers, you can build, you know, a portrait as a brand, you can spend some money, throw some money at it, and, and you can get people to come and log in once. You can give prices, you can bribe mm. user acquisition, but user engagement, you cannot. The reason people keep opening social media is because that is real engagement. No one is paying them to do that, but it's just that it has, um, mm. it, it has transcended to their psyche in, in some way or another that they do that. It's just that I, I've seen that with so many startups, they, they buy user acquisition initially, they do marketing, they do ads, they do Facebook ads, but they don't have um, engagement. People don't stick around and then they leave. And, and that's what real product market fit is about, is, is engagement. So with Uproar, I realized after get, getting all those users, I was really good at user acquisition, but then realized that, okay, a lot of gamers weren't sticking around because they were just changing from one game to another and it would take us a long time to build the whole infrastructure for the next game or the next game and people would play a game for a short time and then they'll move on so they won't have the need for that platform for that game that was an insight which i have learned and i've seen happen over and over again it makes a ton of sense and there's a, several things wrapped up in there first and foremost you, you touched on something. I had this conversation earlier today with a friend and we were talking about creation and actually putting out a great product. And the reality is the product could be amazing, but if you're yes. lousy at marketing it, if you're lousy of getting it in front of people, it doesn't matter. And I think you just clued in on that, that yes, it does matter to create something that has a solid foundation, that it, it does what it's supposed to, or in the case of art, that it it is a, a yes. good piece of art at least. 
But really where the rubber meets the road is in the marketing and getting that in the hands of people because you said it, art is subjective. And then the other insight, which I'm totally, it makes so much sense is user acquisition that that's kind of a no brainer. That's, that's you expect, you expect that, but where you really should be focused is on user engagement, having people engaging with the product or service in a way that yep. is far more important and critical than just being a customer. Being a customer is, is the bare minimum engagement is what yep. we're going after. So how do, how do we do that? If, if, a, if a, somebody's in this listening right now to this, to this podcast and they're, curious they're they're either starting a company or they're about to start a company yes. what are some of the ways that you found to really look at the user experience in such a way to create the kind of engagement necessary to have success it sounds a bit cliche and and very very simple but it's comes down to solving a problem everyone knows this it's not a secret I mean, because of Eric Rice and Lean Startup and, and all that and Y Combinator and all the articles those guys write and people are reading Hacker News and all that, everyone talks about it that, yeah, let's build that something that people want, but no one does it. I don't know why, but it is so strange. Everyone talks about solving a problem and and so many entrepreneurs who come to us or, or that I talk with and or founders that I talk with, they all have a have a same me too product just the only time this time they have less money than their <laughs> than the established players and they are starting from scratch so it's like you know what problem are you solving that's the that's the first question then the second question is how often do people have this problem is it that they're going to have this only once in a lifetime they'll never need this again is there going to be a growing need for this problem it's like Maybe you fix fax machines and there's five people in the world who who still use fax machines, but then it's not, <laughs> a, it, the, the market is not going to be growing. So yes, you got that five people, but then what kind of thing? So, so there's few questions around the problem that any entrepreneur building a product should ask themselves. Yeah. It sounds to me like w what I'm hearing is... Uh, a company, especially a startup, in order for it to be yes. successful, it should be based on a core foundation of, is it solving a problem? One. Two, how reoccurring is that problem going to be where it will need help? And, and as you've pointed out, for whatever reason, many companies fail at doing this most basic principle, despite all the articles, literature, and books yes. that are out on the subject lean startup and, and at all, everything that exists, why is it that they make this mistake? Where are they making the mistake? Are they not thinking about it clearly? Are they looking at it from the wrong angle? Do they have a business idea and they just plow forward regardless of if, if, if it solves a real problem? Like why are they having this issue? When you have an idea, it's very easy to, um, it's like your baby. So you, you start loving it no matter what. And, mm. and then you become protective of that idea. So you want to build just what you have thought in one way or another. Um, right. You are hesitant to, to pivot and build something that people really want. And then the second thing that you did, as you did mention, is the underlying economics of that problem is it a reoccurring problem how painful is it the other thing that people often say is that you want to solve 
hair on fire problems. It's like if your hair are on fire and I'm selling you a fire extinguisher, I won't have to do a hard sell on that. It would be very easy. There won't be a conversation, you know. So is it like, are you solving a hair on fire problem? This reminds me, sorry to go on a tangent. I was just talking with a guy, like a friend who's in sales and he, he does like really good work for SaaS-based B2B startups. And one of the things he said to me is that in, in times of recession and downturn, you have to ask yourself, are you a painkiller or a supplement? So in, <laughs> in, in times of downturn, recession, all that, you want to be a painkiller. You want to be an essential. You don't want to be a good to have or a nice to have sort of a product. It's um, So if you're building a SaaS product, solve a big problem. Don't be something that's just good to have or one more metrics to look at kind of a thing. So... Yeah, what a great distinction because let's face it, you're you're going to choose the thing that you absolutely need in a time of desperation, not something that's a, a nice to have. You want the must have. So yes. I want to talk I want to talk about the work you're doing with Product Done. Okay, so you you had two opportunities to be involved with startups that had success. One as a COO, another one that you came in and you grew it from you know eighty thousand users to three or sixty thousand users to three hundred thousand users, and so you had this success under your belt. And instead of saying I want to start another startup that is in the same sort of vein that you had started before, you aligned yourself with your current partner, and your mission is to help other people with startups. And the thing that really excited me most about reading about you and reading your book and learning more about you is that you you put yourself in the shoes of the entrepreneur and your mission is to help them come up with an MVP or a minimally viable product in yep. six weeks or even 30 days. I mean, the name of your book is The 30 Day Startup. So that's yes. audacious to some people to start a company within 30 days, but there are example after example or after example that you highlight in your book and those that aren't in your book that also fall into that same category that the from idea to getting a first version out was not a very long period of time. So I want to talk about why you decided to make that transition to help other companies Clearly, we already know that you're not meant to, to find jobs. That's not what you're meant to do. You're meant to help other people create companies. That's why you're on this planet. But how did you realize that? What was the insight that made, was it just that you couldn't, you couldn't land a job and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to help people do what I've done a couple of times. Like, how did that insight come to be where you really wanted to, to do what you're doing and have the mission that you have right now? Yeah, partly it was that I did want to help and share what I have done. So, you know, one of the kind of regret that I had a few years ago that I realized is not sharing my story, not sharing my failures and successes with with other entrepreneurs and founders. So two years ago or a year and a half ago, I thought that, look, I'm, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to do it. And what are the ways I can do it? So one of the way is, I write a book and share everything. So I, I did that. Another way is I go and speak at events. I do that. I speak at events in New Zealand. And I mean, everything's canceled now. I was supposed to go to Canada in July, and which is now in 2021. And I was supposed to be speaking in, in Dubai in early April, which is now postponed to October. But yep. So I go and speak at conferences and stuff and I, and I share and I share how to just my experiences on where I have succeeded where I have failed on building startups and the last one is that I go and physically help people so I do that by product done 
And I also help out and I mentor in different sort of accelerators and hackathons and those sort of things. So that's like, that was just one more way to to help people. And that's why I saw the, the biggest need is still that, you know, people still do struggle to find technical co-founders or find someone to help them build a product. Mm. So with the minimally viable product, at the speed that you are going after, which is lightning fast speed, right? Six, six weeks or less. What's your secret? How, I mean, one of the things you talk about is you believe, you know, every unicorn starts with an MVP, right? And, and it's so funny because it's so true, right? Like they all, they all start somewhere and they don't start with where they're at, what we know of them today. They had a, a, a first version. What are some of the building blocks to, to have an MVP that quickly? Okay, I have so much to share on this. And this is another mistake that I see over and over and over founders do all the time. And that is they want to build like a massive palace with, you know, three swimming pools and five tennis courts and and like a massive mansion they want to. They don't want something simple. Like what MVP is, is a MVP is like a scrubby hut on on the beach you're think of it you're in a deserted island you don't want to be sleeping in rain every night so this will provide you shelter for the next six months while your palace is getting built think Mm. of it like that but it's very hard for founders to do that people people really forget that how um limited in scope um some of these massive giant companies today were. It's like for Facebook, their first product was only for Harvard students, not even other Ivy League or not even Stanford. Amazon in 1994, when it got started, for four years, Amazon just did books, just sold books. Today they do everything, you know? Today they pretty much, they can, they're, they're like a country of their own. <laughs> they, they do every single thing. Any area you touch, anything you touch in your house, they, Amazon probably builds it or does something with it. So even Amazon, that is now Amazon, they did it for four years. So they um, went in one niche and they completely captured that niche before moving on to another niche. And that's what founders and entrepreneurs need to realize that they need to target a niche and go after a niche. Um, We often get founders who just, they want to like, when we ask them, who's your product for? Oh, it's for everyone. It's like, if it's for everyone, that means it's for no one. You have to start somewhere. You have to start. And, and same thing goes with, with books. That's what I have realized after writing a book the, that the if it's a really broad topic for everyone, it's going to be an uphill battle. But if it's for a small niche, then you'd be found a lot easier and they might start loving and you might start building a tribe around it. And you might solve a real problem for that particular niche. So, so, so start small, but it's very hard to start small, you know, because founders and entrepreneurs by their very nature are ambitious and they want to build something big so it it is even though it is six weeks or 30 days but most people who come to us they come to us with much bigger goals and they don't understand that mvp can be a bit rough on the edges which you don't need to have tidy edges in the initial version because you don't even know if that is a feature that is useful to the user until the user uses it every single day 
you you don't know but that's not yeah so so yeah. even though it is easier said than done well, I love it. I mean, you, there's so much to unpack there. And in order to have shelter, which you call the hut, which is just the, the basic essentials, yes. sometimes you have to come back to planet Earth and not have the crazy audacious goal that you have. Because let's face it, entrepreneurs by their nature, as you just said, they're dreamers. Yes. They want to shoot for the stars. I get that. I respect that. And I identify with that. I, I'm the same way. Yes. But what, what I'm hearing yeah, you same, say, yeah, yeah. yeah you, so you, so it's, it, to me, the biggest shift is mindset shift for the entrepreneur to realize that instead of having a goal to try to be all things to all people and to have a product or service that is for everyone is to niche down, figure out who the initial core audience in Amazon's case, it was somebody that's going to read books for the first four years, but whatever that product is, get it to a point where it's, it's, it's doing just enough to be a viable product, but not try to not try to polish it to be perfect. Because as you said, until you have some customers, you can't really know if it's a feature or a benefit or something of value to them, which is a, a perfect lead in to my next question, which is all about testing and iterating. So you have this minimally viable product, a key component, and I learned this from your book, and I love that you, you talk about testing and iterating and the importance of that. Why is that so important? And at what stage do you really start to see the feedback loop mechanism work to where you can start making adjustments because I'm just thinking about this, you know, from a linear perspective, if I have a product I just rolled out, do I wait six months? Do I wait one month? How quickly do I start making changes? And it might be different business by business, but curious if you have a a sense on how quickly you would want to adapt as an entrepreneur, just starting something. Yep. That's a very good question. There's, there's few things to it. Um, First thing you want to look at into is engagement so say if you have a mobile app say if it is for fitness let's just say i mean i'm just doing a hypothetical scenario you made a fitness and meditation app and you expect that or or you think that this is what people need this is what people should do they should do meditation at least three times a day have a five minute break and you have notifications in it and you have all sorts of setting you have you can share your 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 progress your graphs your heart rate with your friends you have all these um, features in it and you you think that they, that's what the people will do and they would share it on Facebook that share their everyday their meditation thing with their friends but all these are just assumptions so you build and you put this MVP out I mean it's it's a very simple that it just tells people to take a break and do a meditation and then log in it that yes I did it so it's just a checkbox you know or maybe it has got a sound file or a video file so let's just say it's a simple MVP you release this app and then you people use it for the first day then they don't use it and then they're getting notification three times a day and then they get annoyed with it and they switch off the notification then it's one of the app it's just it's there so you might have spent some money on facebook and google and ads and influencers and then you got thousand two thousand downloads and you think oh wow i've got two thousand users but are they really using your app? Mm. So that's the the thing to watch is engagement. When you were building it, when you were discussing the product with your friends, 
friends are really most friends are really nice and also they don't they don't know you know they are not into tech they are not into they're not putting themselves through um hard enough mental exercise to think will they really use it they say oh yeah this is a great idea i'll use it they just say it and that's not only friends it's for anyone you ask that's what they people would say because they themselves don't know it and sometimes even we don't know it so that's the number one thing look at engagement not not at user acquisition how often they are engaging it um the the second thing you would do is you would change it you know you would change it somehow you would say that you would add some points or something to that or you would start adding products to it if you do meditation for next 5 days in a row you qualify for a discount for a yoga mat something you know and and you try that feature out and these are all very very sort of um simple things that you can do and then if that sticks then maybe it will become a meditation to shop experience who knows but you you don't really know your your goal is to help people meditate and exercise and have you achieve it be completely open to it don't be fixated on that no it will have to have this or that feature uh, be open to removing everything and so that's how you would want to do it in an ideal scenario or in an ideal world but that's not how it always happens <laughs> people <laughs> want to start not. yeah people want to start with all these all the bells and whistles and you have no idea what what bells and whistles people will use and what they won't use what they'll get fed up with so yeah you don't know until it's in the hands of the real user exactly right because yes. what you're saying and there's a lot there one and i know this and this is something i've I think about a lot is your friends are going to tell you what you want to hear or what they exactly think you want to hear. Right. That's so that, why they're your friends. <laughs> that's not a good subject yeah. to, to test any product, right? You give it to them to make your, you know, to feel good for a day, but it's not, you're not going to get any real concrete usable feedback. So that it's, it's, you know, it's, so it's not, it's not meant for that. But the thing that interests me most about what you're saying is that once you've established if it has engagement and if you are not satisfied that you make a choice to make an adjustment and you use an example of you know incentivizing engagement somehow and I know you're just thinking off the cuff but regardless of what it is you choose to do the hard part for an entrepreneur and again I want to go back to that mindset is that this is something they spent time thinking about they might love it and they don't want to abandon it and there's an expression I I, I I come from a filmmaking background. So in screenwriting, they say something's called kill your babies. So if you have a scene, if you have a scene that's not working, even though you spent maybe t- two days, three weeks, who a month on this one scene, you might need to cut it. You might need to completely remove it from the script. And by removing one thing, it can completely change the entire movie. And same thing with an entrepreneur and their startup removing something or changing something they may not feel like doing that because it's something they're so tied and tethered to but it's probably the right thing to do so that's just something i wanted to double down on it makes so much sense the other thing i want to talk about is this concept of failure because you talk about embracing failure it's critical to the startup model that you endorse if you're not going to embrace the failure you're dead in the water so Talk a little bit about what that means exactly because clearly we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do things wrong 
And again, coming back to the the mindset of an entrepreneur who wants to do everything right, yeah. how do you coach or help an entrepreneur through the failures to move a business forward? Yep. I have some, as I'm writing my next book on business in time of Corona or how to pivot your startup or career when you're going through a recession or a downturn in the economy. So I'm writing that book and I've been studying this particular thing, failure, um, and how different people deal with it. And it's just it's just normal and it's just human to to feel down and to do everything you can to avoid failure. And that's why it is so hard to do it and so easy to talk about it, but so much harder to do it. So in my career, I have applied for over 500 different jobs, which I haven't got <laughs> or which I didn't get in in past. And yes, and at that time, it is really hard. But then um, all that failure only enabled me to understand the power of people and the power of networks. So in Maori, there is a saying that in New Zealand, in Maori, that what is the most important thing in life or what is the most important thing of all? And it's the people, it's the people, it's the people. So yeah, it's that's what failure has helped me realize that it's, it's the people that I should worry about and not mm. not my product, not my services that I'm offering or anything else. That's the, one of the insights I've learned. And then the second insight I've learned while writing this book and which I have shared more in, in my next book, which hopefully would be out in the next couple of weeks, is, is that do things for the love of the process and for the love of the journey, not for the love of the destination. Um, otherwise, it is a it is a very stressing place to be in, like um, super stressful to go and keep working just for the destination. It's it's a lot easier to get tired and and feel like you're not achieving it. But if you are doing it just for the flow and just for the journey, then it it becomes enjoyable. It becomes pleasurable. You want to do it. Yeah. So so that'd be my two key. Some yeah, no, I, I love those insights in particular, the one about people, uh, but, but both ring true, right? Because ultimately, uh, when we think about the journey and we think about the destination, a phrase that I've been saying a lot is the journey is the destination. And that's the way exactly. we should think. Exactly. Yeah, That's the way we should that. be thinking about it, right? And so, but yeah, but people, I'm a people person. It sounds like you are too. And you you remind yourself every time you think back to the, you know, what, what could be considered failures, which I don't consider failures at all because those 500 job applications helped to make you who you are and helped you to realize the value of people. I want to talk a little bit about some of the tips you give one of the things I love about your book is you use a lot of case studies. You you cite and yes. and mention many companies, not just household names, but a lot of companies that aren't as well known but have had tremendous success. But one of the things you highlight is some companies or some startups and specifically some entrepreneurs, they have limited resources. They may not have the ability to even do mm -hmm. a formal or traditional MVP. And so you've highlighted some different styles of MVPs, something called the landing page MVP or a concierge yes. MVP or the Wizard of Oz MVP. Wondered if you could share 
what those mean and any others that you came up with in terms of how to define other types of MVPs, especially for those that might be resource strapped. Yeah, absolutely. I'll share just a couple of, I mean, the, the of course, the one that you want to aim for is the functional MVP, if possible. However, there are some other things that you can do in the interim. And one of that is landing page. So we have a new project that we are working on with an entrepreneur. So she already has a physical product, like um, sort of say, you can say diaries, key planners, and and physical products that she sells. She has her tribe of 1,000 really loyal clients. So what we did for her is we made like a proof of concept, which is just few screens, not even the full product, few screens of how the product would look like and just a landing page of all the features that the product would have. And then she has a pre-sign up or pre-purchase. For her, it really works because she can sell, sweeten the deal with giving some her of her physical product as well. Um, and and she's going to run a Kickstarter in the next couple of months or something after she gets enough pre-orders and she knows that, okay, there is really a demand. And then she'll run a Kickstarter and make it global. So that is like an example of a, of like a landing page MVP where you just have a landing page or have a, just have a one-page website. You know, you could do it really easily on Squarespace or Vex or Weebly. Or, I mean, there's hundreds of platforms, even some free ones. I like quite like Card. It's like, like $9 a year or something. Mm-hmm. So money is not really something that should hold you back. If you have, you know, $10, you can do it. Sometimes you can even do it for free. Build a landing page, build some screens of how it would look like and take registrations and see how many people are going for it share it with your friends and families first and then share it in other sort of facebook groups and say that hey i'm building this what do you think what how should i improve get feedback and ask people to be honest and be ruthless (laughs) to roast it so then you get all all sides of all points of view on why you should go ahead and do it or or make changes to it, pivot from it so that you can solve some real problems. So that is an idea of a landing page MVP. However, the one that I am quite excited about or the one that I think that people should give it a go is a concierge MVP. So basically it's like a concierge service. So you might say that we have a, I'm making this a hypothetical example or a scenario is that, okay, you have an idea for a B2B SaaS product where you give it a spreadsheet and it will find out who is the most, five most valuable clients for you. And you're going to have AI learn and do it in the background. So it would have machine learning and AI and algorithms and all these fancy stuff and it will give you data and charts but what you do in initial stage is that that you do this uh, your software does this and you take the access to the they say just share the file with us and then you do it manually yourself and then return the result and if the client is happy they like it then you do it for more people you, you test it out you make some ads on facebook run it for 20 dollars or 10 dollars a day and and you just do manually this work and charge 20 or 50 and then you you test you know what is the the price that people are willing to pay if people start buying it at $50 then you know that okay 50 is too high if they keep buying so keep pushing it till you can 
test those sort of things and then when you have then you have a solid case study that okay maybe there is a demand for this sort of a saas product or or an app or whatever it might be so yeah that's an example of a concierge yeah well it's great because before you spend all the time and resources completely developing the product you have a chance to get feedback early on to find out if there is a demand for that product and you could also start to make some initial tweaks to what your original vision was because you're getting that feedback in real time absolutely in your book the second part of your book you dive into more of the marketing and how to actually grow the startup this includes social media content marketing and i know marketing is something that's near and dear to your heart and user acquisition is something that you specialize in so curious what are your biggest insights in terms of the landscape that exists in today's world when it comes to getting a product out to market and actually getting it in front of users that will ultimately engage with it i will share this sort of insight social media is is good but then you cannot be someone who just goes to social media to i mean this is i'm talking about the organic that hey this is my product buy my product that that doesn't work you have to find ways to engage people and there are a few different ways to do that for example what you want to do is there are you know facebook groups linkedin groups all that all those sort of things you don't go there if you are a new startup so I'll, I'll, let's just pick an example um you are a completely new startup in um in say i don't know travel and tourism space what you want to do is there are probably you know thousands if not tens of thousands of groups and pages on travel and tourism and you go to those sort of places you share your idea that this is what you are building and that you would like some help on improving it or just ask for feedback you know good and bad ask for and and make it funny make you know just go and say that this is my product why won't you use it or roast this product or or just find different and unique ways to to engage for the esports startup we did some we used influencers but we don't just use we didn't just use influencers we had like a unique take to it that no one else was doing it and it is a bit edgy you might have already read of uh, one of the tournament we organized so what we did was we trolled through youtube and i mean of course we live and breathe this industry so we know you know who to look for and who to ask for so we found um, a ufc champion the current ufc champion at that time demetrius and johnson and um and then we found someone who does voices so he has a has a sort of a character called um african rebel and he speaks like he's a african rebel from zimbabwe or something and and he's hilarious and we found like four or five really interesting characters and we made a made some sort of pro- we got them to play a multiplayer game like pubg and there is a lot of banter and they're all like you know um joking and teasing each other and and smack talking and and all sorts of things and it is hilarious and and that sort of thing then got picked up by bigger sort of um facebook pages like led bible and and lots of 
massive pages who have millions of followers and that campaign we how much did we spend not even 10000 and we got in total like 10 10 million plus views wow uh, over multiple different channels and facebook pages and because it it was so funny and it was something so organic that we could promote our large scale tournament and and people would organically share it and and nowhere it was that buy my product and i mean I mean I know a lot of people use influencers and stuff but can you do something unique even with influencers that it is not an advertly and just an advert that is really cheesy and stuff so that would be my sort of suggestion think of something that of that will engage people right because nobody wants to be sold or pitched the world has changed we no longer live in a time where you're just fed fancy glossy advertisements and then you go buy those products now especially with social media companies have to put out content that is engaging that is value add is it going to add value to their lives so you know whether it's content marketing or whether it's using influencers and coming up with something new or different i love the idea of creating something that's novel that's new that they that hasn't been seen before because if you could create something that hasn't been seen before guess what that's going to draw the attention of all the people who are who, whose eyes are glazed over because there's so much noise out there there's so much content how do we get them to stop looking at whatever it is they're looking at and look at what we want them to look at well you got to give them something new and exciting or something that's going to provide value to their life and so One of the last things you talk about in your book and I love that you save this for the end is funding because another thing that's ch- that's that's changed recently or maybe not that recently but clearly there's been an evolution in the way businesses grow and 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 start which is in the olden days you might have a great concept you might have the domain name you might have all of the plans built out and you may be able to find some investor who will give you money those days are over and so now we have to look at ways to create a company on a let's face it on a much tighter budget prove the concept start to grow it as your as your company is 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 perfectly positioned to do is to help these companies grow from an early stage and then once you've proven the concept then maybe you could put your hand out for some investors to say yes let's let's put some fertilizer on this concept and help it flourish and grow so i'm curious for an entrepreneur who maybe is at the point where they can go out and and get some funding from investors what's your advice to that entrepreneur there are a lot more avenues for funding i mean of course there is the traditional vc model vc and then there is less vcs in the world there are 10 times more angel investors so those sort of channels have always existed some of them are still investing some of them have are kind of have paused their investing and they are waiting and watching and seeing what happens because there's just so much uncertainty no one really knows whether this will turn into a recession or this will go back to normal or it will be even better than before no, no one really knows what is going to happen so a lot of them are in wait and watch sort of situation but at the same time there are other venues for investment such as um corporates 
look at corporates as as potential investment partners you know go and pitch to corporates that look this is um say if you have a product in say that folks in automobile industry then you go and talk to some of the companies that make parts or that supply products for it or or does human hr and talk to them that do you want a partner we can help you move online because there's so many legacy companies they have all wanted to move online and that's where tech startups come in but they are so old school that they are unable to they are so entrenched in their ways and they know that they might have to partner up and that does happen often even i mean in this part of the world i've helped three different sort of or two different startups to get funding through Vodafone which is a large sort of like Sprint or AT&T type right, of right. Uh, thing and yeah so I mean those, those sort of channels exist once again it comes down to people make connections make relationships start showing your progress so even if you're working on an MVP start showing people your progress that this is what we did this is and get feedback from existing angels or vcs that you might have connection to or get connected to someone who invests in that industry not to ask for money but to ask for advice and then they would be able to see your progress that okay you said you're going to do build an mvp you did it you didn't just give up and then they will see that you have a formidable character in you because vcs and angels they fund people they don't fund companies they mm. they are not funding your idea they are not funding your product they are funding you because they know that just like you know like the story of lots of other startups where their initial product failed but the vcs kept backing them because they believed in the person and then they succeeded i think it's the story of pinterest as well it started as tote and then they had a major pivot uh, which is all this this is all in my next book but the vc still helped them out and funded them and doubled down on them when they when their first concept completely failed all roads lead back to people in terms of you as an entrepreneur finding and establishing relationships with people who will really act as advisors and help provide feedback for what you're working on because you never know they themselves might invest or they might lead to an investor exactly right yes and then the other side of that coin is that if i'm an investor or if i'm an established entrepreneur who's acting as an advisor and i see somebody who said they were going to do something and then they actually did it to your point what a great testimony to that person's character which is again about the person right so both ways it's about the person i love that and and your book will absolutely help them so i definitely encourage people to pick this up you could get it on amazon we're going to move into the lightning round which is a series of quick hitting questions i'm just going to ask you a question you give me your gut response the first thing that comes to your mind the first question is sam what excites you writing my next book Okay, and do you have the title and and you shared a little bit but maybe just give give the audience a little flavor of what that book's all about. I'm writing a book. It's going to be called Business in Times of in the Times of Corona and I'm writing about how to pivot your startup business or career when you're going through a recession or downturn. I'm I'm writing it for sort of young professionals and young founders and entrepreneurs, people probably in my sort of stage of life. <laughs> Perfect timing. Okay, question number 2. What scares you? It scares me that in some ways 
um, it will be a very slow recovery and just because of the times we are in and it is going to take a few years, especially if we do not find a cure. And I don't, um, the idea of being socially distant um, to other people does scare me a bit. However, mm. at the same time, it has opened the doors for me that were previously closed. Sorry, I have to share this with you because now you could be an entrepreneur based in Boise, Idaho. Previously, you couldn't go to the meetups in San Francisco or Shanghai or anywhere else or London. Now you can go anywhere and attend any meetups because everything has moved online. I'm doing this now. I used to do this in studios here in, in New Zealand and Auckland, but now I can have a conversation with you in LA and sure. pretty much it has shrunk the world at the same time as it has made it socially distant. So yeah. Yeah. So there is a, there is a silver lining and I love your perspective yes. on it. Okay. What surprises you? I learned something this morning that elephants are the <laughs> only animals with four knees that go on the same in the same direction all the oh. other animals have two knees going backwards <laughs> interesting okay a good fun fact okay so you're an author yourself but i'm certain that you've read many books that have helped in, to inspire enlighten and provide knowledge to help make you the human being that you are curious what book have you recommended more than any other book and why I have recommended lots of books, but then it changes. So I'm not sure if anyone is the particular winner, but I'd like to recommend few books. Um, one is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Of course, I'm sure a lot of people have read Lean Startup. Um, good to Great is another good one. Um, I like Malcolm Gladwell's What the Dog Saw. And, and there's one that probably every marketer already knows about is Robert Cialdini and Persuasion. Um, I mean, he's written lots. So pretty much I've read all his books on Persuasion. Read that. And I also yes. quite like um, Clay Christensen's um, Innovator's Dilemma or Dilemma. Yep. Fantastic recommendations. Um, and I'm a huge influence fan. So I, I'm a big yes. believer in his, his work. Okay. So who has been the most inspirational person in your life and why? I had this computer science teacher in in university in India. And this is like 18, 19 years old. And it's just his insane work. I think he's the one who got me interested into tech um, to this level that I'm still connected with the tech world. And the one thing that he did for me was got all of us into reading um, mm. reading nonfiction and and since pretty much since then I've been like hooked on to reading nonfiction and and improving self I mean whether you read it through blogs or through podcasts or through um, or however you you take it yeah take knowledge in um, but yeah he got us interested into I don't know how he made us intrinsically interested in getting more knowledge but he did that for us yeah, well, I mean, clearly he had an impact on you, and I, I love hearing stories like that where early on in your life somebody played a, a pivotal role, uh, because wow, nothing's more inspiring than knowing the impact that we could have on others that are at a point in their life where they're receptive and open to having that happen. So I love that. Okay, if you could spend an hour with anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? Probably Elon Musk. So. Yeah, so lots of questions and <laughs> and and what is, what is this child's name? That would be a good first. Yeah, question. I know, I know that would be a good question. Someone says Kyle, 
because it's like uh, <laughs> um, I, I've heard so many different variations to to that name, but yeah. Yes, I think a lot of people, a lot of people would be lining up next to you. But carry on, go ahead. Yeah, most people use their child's name as the password. He's using his password as the child's name. It's the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> I love it, man. But yeah, it's just because he's ambitious and and you know he is not holding back. He's just going for it, regardless of how audacious or how big the idea is. Starting one niche at a time, he has gone for it. So so yeah. What an incredible story and visionary he is. And it just keeps getting more and more interesting over time. So if you had a chance, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I think I might have covered this one, but yeah, you know, just just do it. I don't know why I held back for so many years. I did not go and write and share my thoughts. So whether it's by writing blogs or books or podcasts or or speaking at events, um, I would unleash myself a lot sooner. Um, I wouldn't wait till I was like 37 or something to to start doing that. Yeah, no, I feel you. I mean, I think a lot of people have that same feeling. It, you know, you kind of want to shake your, your 20-year-old self and yes. give yourself a pep talk and let yourself know that you can do incredible things. So, Sam, we've learned so much about you on the show. And I just, you know, what an incredible story. I'm curious... What may surprise the audience that we haven't yet learned about you? I'm not really sure about that, but I do oil painting, <laughs> which I'm sure you can see some of it here. Yeah, I'm not really sure what would surprise people, but it's a funny one. Okay, I'll share it. When I was in my early 20s and still like a just after studying in New Zealand and I did a lot of odd jobs and I did backpacking around around New Zealand and backpacking you'd stay with people from all around the world and I was the only one who'd be like okay to not go and drink and I was like the other backpackers were Irish and and from other parts of the world where um drinking culture is quite ingrained so I, they, I would always end up becoming the um becoming the designated driver and the problem is that it was like all together it was six of us and then only five seats in the car so there'd be one irish guy and he'd be like oh yeah it doesn't matter just chuck me a guineas or just throw me a guineas and i'll be in the boot of the car and then every time in the weekends if anyone had stopped us and opened the boot there'd be a drunk irish man in there <laughs> drinking guineas <laughs> so but yeah i mean that's all traveling gone are the days of traveling <laughs> Oh, I know, right? Well, I, I'm with yeah. you, man. I've had some incredible experiences traveling, uh, some of which definitely fall in the same category of what you've just said here, which, <laughs> um, you know, you can't exchange those memories for anything. So yeah. I just have two questions left to, to, to ask. The first question is, what's next for you? What's I know you got your book coming out. I know Product Done is obviously something that you're working daily to help entrepreneurs and startups. What else and, and, you know, kind of open forum to share any other projects, ideas, or really paint the picture for the vision of what's going on in your world? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Um, there is a product that I'm working on at the moment. Um, and the reason why I am working on a product or 
of my own is because I like to be in the in the arena. I don't want to be just the one from the outside giving advice. Um, otherwise, my advice will become irrelevant really, really fast. I'd be not in touch with reality. So I do want to always be building and 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 working on a on a startup so i'm working on a startup called insider and where we are like i have a lot of experience from the gaming and the esports industry i want to combine esports with fintech so i want to build something like i'm sure you might have heard of fantasy football so i want to build fantasy finance platform so where mm. people can go and predict prices of stocks or gold or bitcoin or whatever it might be and then if and make it, make it like a tournament and and whoever gets the closest they get more points and they get prices based on that so um so kind of like fantasy finance platform so that's what um i'm building with another team and and you know once again we want to educate younger audience because if you look at in um in us the average age of an investor um who does invest in in all these sort of um diversified assets it's like 62 or something of course the younger people there there are lots of barriers to entry that they they don't have money they don't have experience they don't know where to start so this is a kind of a gamified way that they can start and play and have fun without losing any real money so that is wow. the end that is the goal but you know we are completely open to to learning from the early initial mvp that we will build in the next few weeks and then just seeing and going from there so so if people like it that's great if they don't we will keep pivoting we'll keep learning from it so so yeah i i i'm a firm believer in in practice what you preach so that's why yeah. the book the 30 day startup um well and i my co-author and i we wrote this book in in 30 days we made this goal and that's what i think you have to do otherwise you um you cannot give that advice to anyone um that that's what i believe um so so yes yeah, so i'm i'm working on insider I'll, i'll share the link with you later yeah what and what do you have the name what's the it's called insider insider.com okay Love it man. What a great concept. Uh as somebody who's dabbled in stocks and trading and that world, but yes. also very familiar with fantasy football. I've done fantasy football. Blending oh, the two s- seems like a a really interesting concept. So, yep. love it man. So, last question is really open-ended. I want to give you the final word and just say like open mic, anything you want to share with the audience. It could be anything that comes to mind, words of wisdom, advice, inspiration, anything that you want to kind of send us home. Yeah, I mean, I just want to share this like with people who are um I mean, this is a story when I heard when I was uh, when I was a kid and um it's called like Akbar Bilbal like these are like folklore sto- stories and one of the king asked his um wise men that tell me something that um if I'm happy will make me not happy and if I'm sad will make me not sad and So he said it should be just one sentence and if you can tell me something that'd be good. So then he said that his answer was this too shall pass. So and I thought that you know it's pertinent at this time or it's relevant at this time because some people might have lost their jobs and it would be a really hard time or or even like or or going through financial strife and and all sorts of things or really worried about economy or 
or money or, or whatever or their company or their startup and so you know this too shall pass don't worry it's this is just gonna be a distant memory in some time so yep time is an incredible healer and yeah. it's so true right because everything ultimately does pass nothing lasts forever yeah i mean even Things if you change. win a lottery you have a really good feeling just for that few days and then that too passes so that, that's right that's right yeah i love it yeah. man such an enjoyable conversation i learned a ton and i know the audience did too sam kamani thank you for being on inside out oh that's great thank you i also had a lot of fun yeah really enjoyable conversation Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Oh, my God.